welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosted, but of course you knew that because you listen all the time. In case you don't listen all the time and this is your first episode, welcome. We're glad you found us. Uh, Feel free to go back and listen to older episodes. In this episode, I am sitting down with comedian Shane Moss, who was in town performing at the Comedy Club on State. He had a uh, whole set of material that was about his life in the last year. Uh, He recorded an album. He broke uh, both his feet over the last year, and it's been a big struggle. Check out his podcast called Here We Are. Find him on Twitter at Shane Comedy and uh, ShaneMoss.com. Here's the episode. I've been thinking about learning how to edit because right now I just pay someone to do it for me, but... Really? It'd be easier to do it on my own because I can't pay anyone enough to do it. Sure. Um, like, really well and, like, listen and spend lots of time with How it, much so. is edited out of yours? Oh, nothing, really. Just, so, just they're, But they're, you know, just... Uh, doing whatever fucking filters and stuff sure. like that and, yeah. and then um, there's just like like last episode there's like a couple beeps and so, it, I, I could probably do a lot of that stuff yeah um, but uh, yeah I just it's I it's really that. easy on GarageBand because it's just um, I plug it in and then there's a like a I don't know a patch if you want to call it that a setting called the narration vocal so it's just for talking hmm so it makes it sound good, and then uh, I tweak it just a little bit. But then I'll cut out, like, beeps and things. Uh, very occasionally, I'll have a guest email me or call me later and be like, eh, could you edit out this one part? Like, I told this story, and I do not want that in there. And yeah, I, I hate doing that, but I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> so I don't intro at all. Oh, okay. Um, so we're recording. We've been recording for five minutes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I, I will, when, when when I go back in and edit it, it'll be more of an intro, but um, I don't like go, oh, hello, well, you know. All right. Just us talking about editing stuff. That's right. <laughs> so I am here with Shane Moss. This is this is the intro now. All right. Uh, cool. Shane is a lacrosse native, right? Lacrosse, Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, he is a comedian from. He lives in L.A. now. Yeah. And uh, he's here in Madison to perform at the comedy club on State. Yeah. And record an album. About my favorite comedy club in the country. Yeah, I heard you say that recently. On I don't know if it was you made it weird or something else, or maybe it was on I your say podcast. It a lot. Um, it's a it's a it's a great club. Uh, you know, it's, it's I, definitely, without a doubt, top five clubs in the country. Yeah. Um, it has a couple uh, other rival ones, but once they once they get so good, it's like it, it's it's not going to get much better than it is. Actually, every time I come back, it seems like it gets better. So sure. Uh, I'm always, I've never gone to an actual comedy show there. Like, I mean, I've gone to the open mics that they do on Wednesday nights. But uh, I'm broke, and so I don't. I, don't, uh, yeah. I, I was actually telling Dan Soda, I said, um, if I have spare money, it goes to bills. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't uh, go to entertainment things. But it seems like it would be a fun place to perform at. Yeah, it is. It's great. It's uh, in a basement with low ceilings, and yeah. it's a nice, loungy feel, and very... Uh, um, uh, very nice and but casual at the same time, and it's just it's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I like that it's um, so at the storytelling events. Like I'm always now in our current venue, I'm pretty far away from the audience. 
but at the comedy club, you're like, they're just right there. You just have a lot of inter. Well, you don't want interaction, but like you could potentially, you know. Yeah, no, it's nice to have people close to you, and laughter is contagious and yeah. bounces off of the ceiling and everybody else. So uh, that that makes a lot of people don't realize how much of a difference that makes subconsciously. I, I agree. I I have a few friends, a couple of friends who I always tell my wife I am never as funny as I am when I'm with them because they laugh at everything I do and it, there's something about people laughing at what you're doing or saying that makes you funnier yeah I don't know if it just is it's a confidence thing like subconsciously you're more confident and you're taking more risks or what but well it really does. I, I mean from an audience point of view though too it's it's just like it's when everyone's laughing it makes you more excited like you're a part of something yeah absolutely uh, it, well along the same same lines like i i don't think i've ever seen a comedian pull out of a bomb like i like i feel like once you're bombing that's it you're bombing yeah you can get people back sometimes yeah but uh yeah no i mean there's a lot of times where maybe maybe not a bomb necessarily although i've pulled out of plenty of bombs but um but there's a lot of shows that happens all the time where it takes like 10 or 15 minutes to get people like going and sure. liking you because whatever tension is in the room or whatever yeah. or like the setup's weird or the um maybe they didn't the first comic was inexperienced or something and they don't realize that that's not necessarily representative of all the acts on the show or yeah. you know something like that also so, you gotta like comedy's weird because um like if you're a musician if you're just going to play a show somewhere uh, and the people who are coming to see your show they could have had the worst day ever and it's still music like it's still like uh, there's something about music that touches you or whatever but like comedy if you've had a shit day it could it could very easily be like I'm not gonna laugh now yeah yeah so that's like a, that's a kind of a daunting thing because you're like all right well i've got to overcome this guy you know his aunt died today so like uh gotta overcome that shit right, right. yeah i mean that's that's a lot of times as as the um as the performer, a lot of times it's just like you get a call, you're fighting with your girlfriend or something like that, yeah. <laughs> and then like you're just going through a breakup, and then she's yelling at you as you're like, "I have to go on stage now, yeah, and, and go and make people laugh." So yeah. I'm gonna hang up now. <laughs> I, I have gotten into an argument, a big argument, with my wife right before having to get on stage. Yeah, it blows. Yeah, then you gotta act like everything's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not. It's all. I, I think people can see through that shit. They're like, oh, yeah. something is off here. Yeah, I don't know. I remember um, years ago, some of the biggest fights that I had. I would go on stage and think that I was doing my material just like I always did, and then afterwards, there would be um, girls hitting on me, like super forward and like way crazier than anything that I would normally get. Yeah. And it's like, they can just sense that weakness. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. People, people seem to pick up on weird, um, micro clues and stuff that, uh, that we yeah. aren't really consciously aware of. Um, 
But but yeah, I don't know. Or maybe that's a coincidence. But it, it's always it's always different. Sometimes I I don't know how I'll I'll feel on stage. Um, like during this, re- I'm excited about the recording. But um, so. But also, are you show, nervous about no, that? No, I'm not really nervous. Okay, like. It, it, once I get on stage, I'll e- I'll either be just kind of lost in it, having fun, or I'll be kind of um, looking at it more technically and in my head a little more and thinking about what word needs to be accented in which way and and um in in the order in which I say a couple words and oh what what jokes coming up next and uh, a few things like that or sometimes I'm just very loose and having a lot of fun and then sometimes I'm bored <laughs> on stage and then um and then and then sometimes it's like I it, it's just not a problem at this club uh I mean I know it's going to sound good and everything but yeah. Sometimes when you get your expectations up so high, like I I might be up there and everyone in the audience is laughing. Afterwards, everyone's like, wow, you killed it. That was great. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, eh, that went okay. It didn't go as well as I had hoped it would. Do you think that is a human thing, a comedian thing, or a Midwesterner thing? Um, the first two, I would say. Really? But, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I think I don't know that it's necessarily a Midwest of the Midwestern stereotypes that I have. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure that that hits the top of the list necessarily. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, Midwesterners tend to care way too much about what other people think of them. Um, yeah, see, I, for me, it's not that. Like when I so when I was playing shows as a musician a lot, if I screwed up, that it was a shitty set. Like if I screwed up one note. Oh yeah, and then people afterwards be like, "Oh, that was so great! That was like the best I've ever heard you." And I'd be like, uh, "No, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. it was not." Yeah, well, I mean, that's a very human thing to uh, to make one little mistake, especially something in music where yeah. one, one off note, no one in the world is ever going to recognize <laughs> it other than you. Um, but that's that's like I I had um, a guy on my podcast. Here we are, where I interviewed scientists um about life i had a guy nick epley talking about uh, that kind of um phenomenon that they tested actually to see how much people actually notice sure. you as opposed to what you think people uh, how, how much people are paying attention or whatever and and um one one of the nice kind of liberating studies that was done was they took uh they had a whole bunch of people come in for to take a survey a lot of times that's what they you know people think that they're coming in to take the survey and that's what the study is but the study is actually testing something else yeah. and that's that was the case in this regard so they they have all these people come in and they have one person they set aside i don't know if you know just the first person to show up whatever or they just randomly take the first person 
or or a person and they um, they take them aside and they give them a shirt to wear as they go into the study and the shirt is a shirt of um, Barry Manilow's face it's just <laughs> Barry Manilow's big dumb face on their shirt because scientists have found that um, everyone in the world is embarrassed about Barry Manilow and um, and so and they ask the person how much they think people will notice the, their shirt or how much they'll stick out and blah 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 and um, and everyone's like well everybody is going to or everyone did they I think they ask them after yeah so, so that that person then goes in joins the group they fill out surveys or talk or whatever the thing is that they're doing that isn't actually the study and then they leave and then but then they so so that person wearing the shirt is like well everyone saw me I'm wearing the of world's course. dumbest shirt yeah and then they ask the people afterwards if they noticed anyone wearing like a weird shirt or anything peculiar or something like that and and very few people noticed anything at all and those people that did um definitely couldn't uh, those people that did didn't remember what was on the shirt for the most part. A few people would remember what was on the shirt. So, you know, maybe 10 people would notice that some guy was wearing a sort of weird shirt. A few people maybe noticed that um, it had Barry Manilow on it. This is out of like 100 people or something yeah. like that. And, um, or, or more. And, um, and then and no one, but no one could remember the person. Sure wearing the shirt huh. so uh, so we get in our heads very much about you know you play, and yet you play every one single one of those people left singing Mandy for some <laughs> <reason>. <laughs> Exactly. Well, that, I mean, that is interesting, too, those little subtle things that seep in. Yeah, I, I still wouldn't want, I mean, now that you bring that up, that's a good point, because one of the one of the side effects that that's not testing is, uh, is how much is your subconscious yeah. <laughs> filtering in and being like, <laughs> hey, this guy's kind of weird. And, yeah. and, like, you might not consciously remember it, but somewhere buried in there, I mean, stuff like that happens there's there's a um a good book by david boss um i think it's called the murderer next door he has several books but i think this is the book that he's in and and he talks about um jealousy and the, the evolution of jealousy. I, I now I'm feeling like that. One of his books talks about the evolution of jealousy, and I'm pretty sure it's that book, and not the murderer next door. Um, that is, uh, uh, he uses this. Um, you know, it's an anecdotal study, which sure. scientists don't like as much and aren't aren't always as telling. And um, but anyway, someone. Someone got it in their head. This husband got it in their head that the neighbor was um, somehow communicating with his wife and they were like having an affair and how they were like setting it up was through messages that he was that he had somehow figured out how to program the Christmas tree lights <laughs> and he was sending messages to the guy's wife and that's how he was doing it and having an affair with his wife and everything right yeah and so they go in to 
and so he realized like finally he's like this is insane (laughs) you know and he confesses this to his wife they go into couples therapy or whatever and then you know after the couples therapy they have each person one on one and they like the therapist asks the person's wife um, if she is having an affair or anything and it turns out that she was having an affair with that neighbor yeah it's just that no it wasn't christmas, wasn't christmas light. light it's just that something the guy was picking up on some other subtle cues sure and so a part of his brain was screaming hey she's uh, she's cheating on you she's cheating on you with this guy you yeah. know and, and putting it putting the pieces together and how it consciously comes out is looking for some some weird explanation that you can see and pick up on which yeah. in his case S- happened to be these christmas quote unquote, rational explanation yeah yeah <laughs> the, yeah the uh, the brain's idea of rational isn't always what um, our society's idea of yeah. rational is. Uh, that's interesting because, like, I mean, I, I'm, I've never had an affair, and I, I know my wife hasn't. And uh, but, like, I've had things in life where I'm just like, I know that this is happening. Like, whatever it is. Oh yeah. And like, I have no reason to like. I've not like uh, thought it out and like seen evidence like in my consciousness. But it's it's just like. Something in my brain is picking up something, and I know that this thing is happening. And you confront a person, and they're like, "No, you're insane. That's not happening." And then you find out that it is happening. Oh yeah, I mean that happened. And then I mean, there's also it doesn't necessarily because you have people have all sorts of paranoid feelings and stuff all the time. It doesn't necessarily make them valid. I certainly one of the biggest things with my ex is that she would have these crazy scenarios where. It, I was I was just like going out of my way at a restaurant where it'd be like I I would go to the bathroom at the same time as some attractive girl in the restaurant to go and like try to flirt with her or something like that and be like well what that is the a typical move to are you go into the women's restroom about? just to flirt <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> I, I mean it just it just be like just completely insane yeah stuff like that so you know it's all. It's all interesting stuff to consider, but every everything is there's a lot of individual differences, and everything's kind of a case by case basis. Sure, I, and a lot of it is this has come up a lot on this podcast. Uh, a lot of it is that everybody is the star of their own movie. Oh yeah, like nobody well, is like, oh, I'm just the sidekick. Yeah, ego uh, egocentrism is is uh, something where we're. I mean, part of it is just the limitations of our own mind as we. I only have the information available to us that is coming in through whatever sensory means and yeah. uh, what we're smelling and seeing and hearing around us. And, you know, we can't necessarily imagine what it's like to be walking down the street in Minneapolis right now, let alone in Baghdad or something like that. And, sure. and, um, and so there, there's just those limitations. So any perception that we have of the world does have to come from some place that is within us. And then the real problem is, is that often we're kind of projecting our own um, perceptions of things off into the world. And, and then, and then, um, 
and then we're perceiving our own kind of projections. Yeah. So, yeah. so like you, you have a bad day or you're running late or to the airport or something like that and you're in a shit mood and then, uh, you know, ne- next thing you know, the, the ticket clerk's an asshole and yeah. TSA is a bunch <laughs> of dicks and, and the stewardess is a bitch and every, everything else. But that, that was just you didn't get your cup of coffee. Yeah. You know, and you're kind of projecting that and, and, and then that becomes rea- your reality. Yeah. You know? it's, what do you, it's a fickle thing. What do you think? Because uh, there are some people who are better at this than others, uh, being able to see beyond themselves and their own shit. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, there are and there are. But, but the problem is, that, I mean, that is true. Uh, and, and I definitely think like we all need to work toward um, trying to understand ourselves and others better and mindfulness is a yeah. big thing and as we learn we become more mindful of why we're feeling the way that we are but um, but the other I mean it's this kind of hopeless um, kind of almost like a, a red queen effect the red queen was a character in alice in wonder there's a wonderful one of the best books i've ever read on evolutionary psychology and biology is called the red queen hmm. and uh the it's based on the, the character in alice in wonderland um alice i i'm not even familiar with the scene i just know the story from the it, it's a it's a well-used um kind of scientific idea um this the story that um that the red queen's just running and running and running and sprinting and and running along with alice and and they're staying in the same place yeah they, uh, they they're running and running and the scene just stays the same and and alice is like why why are you running so fast if we're just staying in the same place and the red queen is like it takes all the running i can do just to stay in the same place <laughs> and there's this kind of red queen effect with with learning and um expertise and things which is that the more you learn and the more you understand say something like hey i now that i understand egocentrism that's allowing me to see outside of myself a bit more but through obtaining that skill at the same time you also learn too much confidence in that skill and so then you go well uh, i know my brain's egocentric so i'm seeing past that egocentrism so that's not affecting me as much as it does other people and it's just this kind of a hopeless yeah i mean it's not hopeless but it can seem futile sometimes i think it's hopeless (laughs) i i uh I used to drive for a transportation company here in town, uh, picking up disabled people uh, Mm -hmm. who had injuries or whatever, or they were old, couldn't drive anymore. But a lot of my clients were, um, like developmentally disabled Mm -hmm. and, um, you had some pretty bad days working that job because you've got people who get in your bus and, shit themselves and or whatever you know they just don't care or they don't have control or whatever and um now you're cleaning up shit yeah and and uh, that is a bad day but i I really did learn to to like uh, so like a lot of people were just like old cranky people yeah uh and very early on i'd be like can't you just smile like just whatever whatever and then eventually i was just like their life probably sucks like yeah 
I mean, it's not the worst life in the world, but like you're confined to a wheelchair. You got to be driven around by this young asshole. Um, people look at, look down at you just because you're in a wheelchair. And like, so I really learned at that job to be like, I have to look beyond what I'm feeling right now because who knows how this person's day has gone. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people's anger and aggression and everything else is really coming from a place of fear and sadness. A, a lot of times. And yeah. So knowing, knowing that can certainly, um, make us more empathetic, um, sometimes, but you know, again, you're in the moment and it's like, Oh yeah, I do feel bad for this person, but now here I am cleaning up shit, <laughs> shit. off of a bus. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, don't, don't shit on, don't shit on my seat just cause you're having a bad day. You yeah. know? So uh, life is just fucking frustrating. Um, oftentimes, yeah, yeah. you know, you, lo- you look for those little bits of hope and everything else, but this sounds really dismal. You look for those little bits of hope Yeah, you know, <laughs> through the, through the muck and the mire. Yeah. I mean, and all, and all of that too is, is, uh, is like, uh, egocentrism and everything's dramatic and we're all a hero battling this hard existence yeah. and and pressing on you know and it's all uh, i mean i i try my best to to preach and practice indifference uh, <laughs> it's a difficult thing to do but i try not to get too excited or too bummed out about anything yeah. um and and be mindful of it when i am and when I am in a good mood, I do try to be like, all right, appreciate this. Remember this. Hold on to it because ultimately, you know. Because tomorrow you're going to trip and yeah. break your foot. Yeah, yeah. So, what happened to your foot, by the way? Um, I So I was hiking last May and um, a buddy wanted to take a shortcut. Um I was a pretty experienced rock climber at the time. Speaking of having too much confidence, I was in the best shape of my life, and I'd I'd been uh, I'd only been rock climbing for a little over a year, but I was like a lunatic. I was climbing like three, four times a week. Um, sometimes I'd be climbing like four or five days in a row, which is just, it's not even like good for you to do that. And it would just hurt. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's like, you can't climb. I am not in rock climbing shape. So you'd be surprised, man. No, I wouldn't. You would be surprised. (laughs) I see a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, out of fat people and heavier people and everything else. It's so much about technique. I think you would be shocked how good you'd be at it. If you had someone show you what to do. A lot of it's like, you're climbing a route and and um and there's a move that's like this is impossible like there's no one on the world that's strong enough to do this i don't understand how this can be done and you're working out for like two weeks and then one day you're like oh you just like twist your hip like a half an inch in a different direction than seemed intuitive <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden it's just like your Ooh. hand just like clicks right there and it's the easiest thing you've ever done yeah um but um yeah, rock climbing is, is my jam. I'm hoping I'll be able to get back into it. Well, anyway, we were supposed to be rock climbing that day. I was in Arizona, and there was some massive fire there, and so we couldn't go where we were going to go rock climbing. Ended up going for a hike. You wanted to take the shortcut, and uh, I said it was too high. Um, but he was, like, pretty determined, and I was, like, a little bit 
worried for him because I was way more experienced and in better shape and everything else than he was. So I decided that if we were going to do this, I would go down first at least so I could spot him or at least test it out. And um, and I even said what I uh, what the risk was. Um, which was I, I, I said specifically because of the angle and the shoes that I was wearing and everything that I'd be at risk of breaking a heel. Um, <laughs> turns out I underestimated. <laughs> I broke both of my heels. Yeah. One of them was shattered, and um, and, um, and then I had to crawl down a mountain for a few hours. And um, you know that that was an interesting on your hands experience. And crawling down. Yeah. I mean, um, it was, well, so, I mean, I don't know if, if you want this story to just like be the podcast, I don't know how much time you want this story to be, um, because I can stretch it out or make it very short or it's up to you. I, like I said, there's, we never have an an agenda for this. Well, how, how much time, um, are we at right we're at 29 minutes right now. It's and, 3 o'clock. And how much time do we go for? I usually shoot for, I always tell my guests an hour, but okay. if we go to an hour and a half, awesome. All right. So, yeah. So I landed, and I knew right away that I broke both of my heels. I heard. Because of pain broke. or just hearing? I, I, I Both. Yeah. Um, both I heard my through my body like i didn't hear leave my feet travel through the air and then go into my ear yeah i, I know heard exactly the bones rattle through and i've broken a lot of bones before not a lot but i've broken enough yeah um let's see one two three um Am I missing one? Maybe I'd only broken three bones before that. Three or four before that. That's enough. That's all you need to break. I've only broken one and never again. I don't want it. (laughs) Yeah, it's not for everybody. (laughs) Um... And, uh, yeah, but I had never heard him break before, and that was horrifying. Yeah. And, uh, so I, and I knew what it was immediately, and, and the pain shot through me right away. And, um, and... I mean, the weird thing was there it was also accompanied by a feeling of like, I want to live, <laughs> which is especially weird for me because I'm pretty indifferent about life and could give uh, t- take it or leave it on your given day. Um, but I uh, so right away, I said, I go, I just broke both my heels. <laughs> and then and I said it so fast that he thought I was joking. Yeah. And so he was just about to jump and like started climbing down a little bit to jump. And then I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Get back up there. You're going to have to go around, take the long way down and try to help me. And I was sitting there and I, I was, I mean, the plan was, or at first I was like, well, I'm going to sit here for a second and think about this. <laughs> think about And that. decide what I'm going to do. It was like, because at first it was like, well, maybe I'm exaggerating my circumstances. And I, I didn't know that my foot was necessarily shattered. Uh, I, I had a pretty good idea. So at the time I had a pretty good idea that 
both of my heels were broken. I knew for sure one was broken. I was hoping the other one was just maybe bruised or something real bad. And, um, and, but it was definitely, I was like, it's a break. And I think it's like a pretty serious break. It's like a little bigger break than past breaks have been. (laughs) But, you know, at the time I'm like, you know, this just happened. Maybe it's just very painful right now and it will dissipate. And I... And then I thought about it, and then I was like, no, well, the one's for sure broken. And so I was like, so what do I do? Do I call a helicopter? Do I wait for them? Because I didn't know how long it was going to take my friend to get around. It ended up taking them what felt like an eternity. But... um, like a half hour, forty minutes, or something That's like still, that. Still, and um, and so I started, um, basically. Well, it was more like a scooting down the mountain. You know the um, the crab walk that yeah. you did, and your kid, where uh, you'd be on all fours, and your stomach could be. They'd have you do it in gym class. Your stomach could be facing the ceiling, and mm-hmm. you walk around. Um, that's not at all how crabs walk, but I, I guess uh, I guess it, the leg aspect mimics the uncoordinated look of a crab walk. Um, but um, anyway, that's I, I get off on tangents. Um, but so my left foot was totally fucked, so I couldn't use that at all, and I could use my right toes was all. And so I just kind of Your started. Right toes is all you could use for as far as feet go. Yeah. And then, what would you do with your toes? Um, you know, I could like put weight on those. Okay, red okay. Toes. I see what you're saying. Um, and so I, so I started like tripod crab walking. Um, like, and how exhausting! Yeah, and and so I started uh, scooting down, and. I didn't really have a sense of how long it was going to take because the distance wasn't that far, but this was, we jumped onto this. <laughs> but you had walked to there. Be a, yeah, but we were taking a different route sure. down. That's why I got myself in this predicament. Yeah. It was meant to be like some other route that we were going to take. Sure. So I didn't know how much it, it, it was wound around or anything like that. It didn't seem like that far. Um, and I wasn't sure what my health insurance was at at the at the moment because um, I had like got approved for some health insurance, but I hadn't gotten like the details for it and everything. And I knew there are still some forms that I had to fill out. Um, and so, and I thought because like if you're in California and you hurt yourself climbing, you just get a free helicopter ride. Yeah. Um, if you're in a state park. Yeah. But I didn't know how this is in Arizona. Arizona's a red state, and I I wasn't sure what you know if their rules were different or whatever. And so, and then I was like, well, what if I had an ambulance? Well, what's the, the point of that? Well, I guess if someone, if people brought up a stretcher, then maybe they could carry me down. Because otherwise, it's just too steep for anyone to carry me and too bumpy and everything. Like it just. Uh, 
like there were some people around and they maybe could have helped a little bit here and there but the risk of someone else like slipping and dropping me or something was just i was like i'd rather just have control over it yeah myself and it take a little longer so i started scooting down the mountain it took like it took a good two hours to get down to level ground and then people were able to carry me which took another 15 or 30 minutes or something with like um you know a couple people on each side and then we'd have to stop and take breaks and just and i i knew on the way down i was like now i'm pretty sure that both of them are broken and i'm pretty sure i really did a number on the one um because the pain only got worse and and it was real hot out and you know it's in the arizona desert and halfway um, through i'd be like take me now just leave me yeah i mean part of me is just like i just want to roll off a fucking cliff right now (laughs) um but uh, yeah so i was uh I, i kept going made it made it to the first hospital they were full it was just like a full (laughs) hospital and then um, they sent you away well they told me that it was going to be like a couple hour wait basically and they wouldn't give me any painkillers i was like if you can give me painkillers i can like they didn't believe i was very composed when i went in i wasn't talking any different than i'm talking now yeah um but so I just calmly explained to them that I'd broken both of my feet and had to crawl down a mountain for a few hours and I was in a tremendous amount of pain. That's not what you should do. You should scream bloody murder. Yeah. Um, in hindsight. And so they didn't take me seriously enough. And so then I went to the next hospital. They had an opening. And the second they look at, looked at my foot, they were like, whoa, this is bad. <laughs> and and they, they were like, they didn't give you anything at the other hospital. They didn't, they wouldn't see you, nothing. And, uh, you know, it's like they just didn't believe me. And so... I mean, I got to be honest. If somebody came to me with your tone of voice, it was like, dude, I am really hurt right now. <laughs> Whatever, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what you just took, but you're fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, I, I don't know. It was... It, it was uh, it was quite the ordeal. So then they took x-rays. And then, like, the doctors kept on... The doctors kept on coming in and being like... And nurses and stuff, and being like, "This is really serious." And I was like, "Okay, <laughs> well, just like tell me." You know, just, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. What else am I supposed to do? And I was on so many painkillers then, and morphine. Then at the time, that it was like, yeah, you just don't really give a shit about anything. And so, yeah, they they make you so from and and you know. Speaking of like projecting your um, your personal state onto the world, like when I was crawling down a mountain, it was just like <laughs> life could just go fuck itself. It, it, like this whole world could explode, and I didn't give a sh- like the whole world just seemed broken to me. And and then um, you know, a couple minutes after being, and then they give you morphine. And it's like ah. Oh, everything's gonna be fine. This is great, and then you're just like the nicest person yeah. in the world. <laughs> Doctors are coming in and telling you that it's serious, and 
I go, what? what? You got to lop it off? Go for it. I, you know, don't, I feel you, great. You don't have to. Uh, don't feel awkward on my account. This is my fault. I did this. I don't want you to feel bad about having to cut my foot off. And um, then they did. Uh, they like gave me an MRI or whatever to scan my back and. Um, and and then they were like, yeah, you're going to need surgery, um, which I wasn't expecting that. I, I usually with a break, it's like they set, you set it, and, yeah. and it's like I was expecting maybe they would put it in a cast and a, or a boot or something like that, and you know just have to wait three months or something like that. Sure. I was like, that really sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to. That really brought down your high. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have. A, a couple broken feet for uh, you know finding out that both of them were were in fact broken yeah. was a bummer and then uh but then when they were like you're gonna need surgery i was like oh shit this is way more involved than what i thought it was so i went and saw the doctor they um they decided um, you know, to do the surgery a couple days later so that the swelling could go down a little bit. And they did the surgery. He was real happy with it. I thought everything would be good. And then um, there, there was a, there was some, um, where the stitches were kind of traced my foot and then up my leg. So there's like a 90 degree angle there. And that corner um, ripped open because of all the pressure, because of all the swelling in my foot. Gross. The corner ripped open, (laughs) which I guess is not terribly uncommon, which makes me like, I can't believe that they don't just have a better solution. You can't use a staple. You can't figure something else out. So that ripped open. So then there was a hole in my foot. Yeah. And so then they're trying to let that hole heal naturally. And uh, they were considering doing a skin graft, but they're like, oh, we'll let it heal naturally. And, um, and then, um, you know, like three, three or four months went by, and it was the the other foot had recovered. Some of the swelling went down. My my bad foot. Uh, so the one foot was a hundred percent. Then after like right three foot. months, my right foot. Yeah, and my my left foot was um was still swollen, still um not necessarily painful but i couldn't set it on the ground or or i mean i could set it on the ground but it was zero weight bearing and uh, the bones still weren't even healed together yet yeah. and um and then i ended up getting um there was a abnormal amount of swelling and so they figured it was infected gave me antibiotics swelling went down a little bit but just wouldn't go away and then in december um i had uh i started getting fevers and so they were like oh that's bad news um you're gonna probably the hardware might be infected um and if that's the case, you might have a bone infection. 
So then I had to go in January. I had to cut. So I was. So I took three months off originally of stand up um, when both my feet were broken. But then I was touring around on crutches. And then in January I had to cancel another. Well, at first three weeks of work, and I had to drive from Cleveland to L.A. And I had like it's like a 36 hour drive or something like that and i had like i I think i had 46 hours to do it in to get to a doctor's appointment sure so i had like (laughs) very many stops yeah it was it was crazy it was the most insane thing i've ever done i mean to like put on your gps and then it's like 34, uh, 34, or I think it was like one day, eight hours to go or something like yeah. that. But then I ended up taking a detour to get out of the snow because uh, I kept on like falling at gas stations or sure. and stuff with all the ice everywhere or almost falling. And so then that added more time and God. And then I, I remember I, I got a hotel one night after like... 18 or 19 hours of driving I got a hotel and I woke up uh, I could only sleep for like 6 hours or something like that and then I um, not even maybe it was 4 or 5 hours and then I woke up and I I didn't realize it, but it was a straight shot back to L.A. from where I was. It was just one interstate. And so the GPS said something like, next turn in 1,250 yeah. miles. <laughs> and my heart just said. I had that going to Denver once uh, from Madison. It was like, we at one point we got on some interstate and it was like, Take exit in 953 miles. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well, this is going to be really boring. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I drove like the other, it was like 20-some hours or something like that, ultimately. I got to the doctor's appointment. So then it was, I mean, the whole, the really... The, the thing about all of it is it gives you a lot of insight into how frustrating the health insurance system is because the process is so silly yep. because a doctor can't just see and be like, you need this, let's go. And thus it's an absolute, like, and how they quantify an emergency too, because if they would have just called it an emergency, I could have stayed in Wisconsin and like had help and everything like that. Sure. But they wouldn't call it an emergency, a bone infection that meant that I, they might be have to like take my f- foot off yeah. if if it was like real bad or if they couldn't get rid of it yeah and but that's not considered an emergency like you can go into an emergency room with like a cold or something like that and that'll be covered out of state but but because like the they're like, well, we can schedule the surgery like four days from now. If the surgery doesn't need to be done right this day, then it's not considered an emergency. Yeah. And so then, um, uh, so, so yeah, I had to go back. So then I see, first I have to see a general practitioner. So then you can't just like call up a foot surgeon. 
and, and like be like, hey, my I have this hardware on my foot that a doctor says that another foot surgeon says needs to come out now. So let's put that together. Now, first you need to see a general practitioner, and then they need to give a referral and put that in and get the insurance process started on that. And then that'll take a few days. And then you'll get the referral for a foot surgeon. Then you got to go there. And then they go, yep, you need this surgery. And then they put the process in for the referral so then you got to wait another like four days or whatever that's and so then frustrating they finally got me into the hospital and they cleared off like i went in on a monday and they cleared off until friday to um you know they're going to do the surgery on the monday and then they're going to have me on iv antibiotics and everything for five days anyway um that to get started they did the surgery it was more complicated than they realized and so then they're like we're gonna keep you in here for a week and i'm like that's great i'm glad to have people taking care of me and watching over me and making sure that this heals correctly and everything else and then a couple days later um they were like yeah sorry but your insurance is saying that because your health is improving that they want to send you home and they're going to give you like a nurse once a day so then what i didn't know was like the surgeon told me he's like so i left the corner um open like i i cleared away some of the um infection site and scraped off some bone and stuff and took the hardware out and blah 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 and i leave i stitched up the rest but i i left some of it open so that um we're gonna do this like wet to dry stuff which turns out is just like uh, you, you take wet gauze and pack it in the wound and then the moisture as it dries pulls out like whatever infection yeah. hypothetically and which is like wild west shit it's <laughs> what it sounded like yeah and um and so then they're like okay so sorry but now you're gonna have to do this at home and the nurse will show you what to do but you might want to watch and and they showed me and there was um uh, as they took the dressing out of this hole in my foot and i didn't i had no idea um how big it was and so it was like a magician scarf trick <laughs> just, just kept coming endless and endless amounts of of uh of gauze that kept on coming out and um and then I had to like, so what ultimately ended up happening was I had to take this. So, so on my own, I mean, the nurse would do it once a day and then two other times a day first. So they put a pick line in my arm, which is an IV line that stays in your arm and goes like into your heart. And so I had like cords coming out of my arm. And so three times a day, I, um, I needed well, two times a day on my own. I would need to hook up IV bags, um, up to my arm with one hand, which they, they work like, like you twist them together so it's like it takes like a lot of dexterity to do it with one hand it's, it's insane that they even have you do that on your own but you know you gotta be on IV antibiotics for like six weeks or whatever so it's like well okay I get it um, they didn't give me proper training on how to do this I'm not a nurse I'm like googling <laughs> like trial what to and do. Error. 
It's so crazy. And I was so worried about like air bubbles in the lines and everything <laughs> yeah. else and which happened. And um and then they um and, and so then I so I'd hook up my IVs. So this would take like um so now the drip would take like an hour and a half or two hours or something to do. Um, and so that I couldn't sleep like for any more than like five or six hours because it would be time for the next one. Um, and, and then, so it was really hard to sleep. And then for six weeks, it was hard to sleep. And then, um, I would have to, once I was hooked up, then I would have to change the bandages on my foot. And that's when the real horror started. I'd have to like, uh, you know, sterilize everything and, and lay out all this equipment and everything else and all my bandages and saline and all this uh, gauze and all this other stuff and and sterilize everything and get the rubber gloves on and sterilize those and then I'd have to pull all this gauze out of my foothold which was very painful and then once it was out then I'd have to look in there and like and rinse it with saline and like make sure there wasn't anything left in there and wipe around and then I'd have to pack. I just I can't yeah. believe you had to like reach into your foot yeah and look at my own bone yeah uh, I mean so you could fit like a golf ball in it that's Good how Lord. big it was and so I'd take gauze and I'd have to like one gauze pad at a time pack it in with like a q-tip and the gloves and stuff and I'd have to like really press it in there and get around in all the corners like as hard as I could and uh, and and uh, like when, when the you nurse said, you said taking it out was painful but was packing it packing painful? it was way worse I, well yeah I would imagine like when the nurse did it it was nice because then I could just scream into a pillow <laughs> <laughs> but you could writhe in pain but when you're doing yeah, it you writhe I in had, pain it hurts more yeah well and he couldn't like I had to be very careful about yeah. how I was doing it and I mean I would always be like especially the first like five days that i was doing it every time i was like the first time i had to do it i was like nope not gonna do it i'm just not going to um i can't i got everything ready i tried to get myself to and i was like well i can't do it i guess the nurse is just gonna have to do it tomorrow and then the five days after that when i was doing it myself um it was uh just i mean i would have to like i was just like sweating and i and, and like getting pale and everything and i'd be looking at my own foot bone and I'd be like all right just focus on the task and don't pass out and don't faint on me and because that would be real bad news and then um I mean, uh, and I do it, and then it was crazy, and then you know, and then I get used to like packing my own foothold. I just got used to it, and and the thing is, is too, is then then it made like. I'd be like, okay, I can do it three times a day on little sleep. I'm gonna do this IV thing. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pack my own foothold. And I had, I was in the middle of moving. 
I, I had to move all of my because all my stuff was still at my old place, my ex's place. Yeah. Um, because I hurt myself. We were still living together. We had broken up, but we were still living together um, until our lease was up. But then I broke both my feet, and so all my stuff was just still there for months and months. And so I got a new place, and I had to move all my stuff. And I'm like building furniture and stuff for my new. I had no like no belongings. Yeah. I had to like get a bed, and I had to like put furni- furniture from like shitty Target all furniture. Your yeah, I could have. Um, so I'm like doing all this shit, and then and like I I was I was dealing with it and then what will get you is like all like the little things are are what will set you off so like everything would go fine and then um and and then like I, I'm putting a shoe on and there's that loop and back to help put slide the shoe on yeah. of some shoes and I got my finger in there and I slide it on and then that loop breaks and then that's just like the straw that breaks the camel's back. <laughs> you just rage. Not today. <laughs> I can't do this. And that's 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 when. Uh, that's that's when um you know that uh you just fucking lose it but you I know kinda like rightfully so though like i mean you had to pack your own disgusting foothole yeah, it was pretty bad i mean i, I, I was would, trying to get like I a social service raging. worker over to yeah. to look so that they would get a nurse over three times a day instead like my nurse came over and she's like this is crazy like my the first time my nurse saw the hole in my foot like her eyes lit up so big like she couldn't <laughs> believe it and she got her phone out and started taking pictures. <laughs> I was one time seeing so my infection specialist, and he was explaining to me because I, I eventually got a wound back on, which is like a, you stuff the hole full of foam and then attach like this vacuum hose onto it, and it yeah. stimulates growth and sucks out whatever like uh, weird foot juices and stuff. <laughs> and. Um, and and the doctor's explaining all that to me, and I was just sitting there, and uh, you know, I've just had a long, long like uh, four weeks at this point or more, and and I was like, I'm sorry, this is just a lot to take in. And he goes, and he looks at my foothole, and he goes, Well, it's horrifying. <laughs> That's what my doctor said about this guy like sees dead bodies and stuff. (laughs) That's that really boosts your confidence, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Good lord. But you know what was interesting. I mean, it certainly gave me a lot of like being into like science and psychology and stuff. It certainly gave me some insights into like certain mental states that you don't get to experience as much or at least be mindful of it is interesting that um you know when i was talking about the world seeming broke and everything seeming fine after morphine and stuff there's there's this interesting um stuff so like uh, there's there's this weird kind of well-studied phenomenon that's um uh, that is how your brain kind of processes things through these metaphors. It processes um, um, 
kind of emotional states through physical metaphors. So mm. what I mean by that is, um, so there will be a study where there will be someone, again, like they're told they're coming in to take some study, some test or whatever, and they get in there and they go up the into the elevator and in the elevator there's a confederate a a paid actor in there um and his hands are full and he's got like this drink and stuff and he's like hey can you hold this drink for me Mm -hmm. um just till we we get up there my hands are full the person takes the drink and it's either a hot drink or a cold drink and so the person takes it and and um they get up there oh thank you for holding on to that for me then they go in and um take the study and everything which the study isn't the actual study the survey isn't the, survey isn't yeah. the study and then at the end they ask like did you see anyone on the way in like, oh actually i did run into someone in the elevator and then they'll have them describe the person in the <laughs> elevator and depending on whether they had the hot or cold beverage um uh influences how uh, often influences how they describe the person so they'll be like oh they seem like really warm and friendly interesting they seem like kind of cold and distant and and um and so and and this is they test this in a million ways people if you set someone in a hard chair um when you're trying to negotiate like uh um if you're going to buy a new car and you're sitting in like a hard chair or something you're going to drive a harder bargain sure um and sure what do you mean sure like oh everyone knows that uh, <laughs> no, no, i don't that, no that no, no you got it yeah, it yeah. no i know yeah. i'm giving you a hard time um and and then uh you know there'd be like there'd be uh, uh, there's all this interesting stuff with like moral disgust where where um if if you if you make people um like write a story of themselves a control group just writes a story of their childhood any story they want another group writes a story of their childhood something they're ashamed of from their their childhood and then you offer someone three gifts like uh one's an itunes card one's some other uh new set of headphones or something or whatever and then and another one is like a gift basket of a bunch of all these fancy soaps and stuff mm-hmm. and um and if you and the people that wrote down the thing that they're ashamed of will often opt for the basket of soaps <laughs> because so you want to clean yourself and yeah. cleanse yourself because you feel dirty morally and what's happening is is that this this um the, these emotional states and this conscious process that we think is you know this this higher level thinking and this communication stuff that is is kind of new in evolutionary history was had to be built in the brain on top of pre-existing more raw instinctual um sensory uh inputs and in parts of the brain yeah and and so our perception of things are often grounded in uh these physical metaphors so we call someone bright or uh gloomy or all all these things that have uh, that are words that we use to imply um 
like getting high or something like that. Why is it you're not up high yeah. in the sky? But why does it feel that way? Why do we have that word for it? And um, and, and that's kind of uh, a lot of our interpretation of of things is grounded in this uh, in this um, physical realm. So that's and that's why the world seems broken when you break your feet. And um, that's interesting. And that's why uh, the, the everything feels like. <laughs> It's going to be fine when you're on morphine. On morphine, and I'm sitting there, like uh, you know, after the surgery, and I'm like, I'm you know, depressed again, which was was not unexpected. I had already gone through the surgery and depression and stuff the first time, and I'm I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, God, I, I. Um, I like feel so empty and like I feel like there's something missing and I couldn't and uh, like in my mind I'm like is it because like uh, do I miss my ex or do I like I don't feel like I miss my ex that doesn't seem like like I'm uh, like it was a good breakup it was good uh, you know I hadn't been dating uh, but I was happy that I wasn't dating I didn't yeah. want to be dating especially like all crippled up um, you didn't want somebody uh, to baby you uh, no not really <laughs> I'd rather be in my peak um, but but uh, but I kept on. I couldn't shake this feeling, like this emptiness. It's like there's this pit inside of me. I'm like, oh wait, there's a hole in my foot. There's a literal there's pit. There's actually a hole in my foot, and I like feeling like there's a hole in my soul or yeah. something like that. Yeah. And so it's uh, it was really an interesting. Um, insight into a kind of of course i wouldn't have those insights if i didn't also um read up on this stuff and have the good fortune to on my own podcast go around and talk yeah, to scientists uh, remind me again of the name of your podcast. here we here, are i always want to say called, we are here but it's here we are um, yeah yeah the 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 premise is, is that we're all kind of plopped here into this weird consciousness stuff trying to do the best we can to figure out this weird existence and it's kind of this uh um uh very big feat and then we don't really have too many hints as to how to figure it all out and so i'm going around and talking with scientists about the human condition basically what uh, what is the most interesting thing you've learned so far from doing that podcast um i mean that would be very tough to yeah i it's a tough question <laughs> yeah i mean an on the spot question I, you know i did a lot of um there's a lot of just because me personally having broken my feet and I was like crutching around a lot during doing this podcast and everything well I had a lot of a lot of people have a lot of different takes on it from people in different fields looking at the same thing which sure. is like breaking feet or going through the depression of breaking feet or how how painkillers work or whatever it might be so it's um it's it's been um enlightening you know you always intellectually know um that or you're supposed to intellectually know if you're 
um, into science that there's always this whole big web of causation between behind each thing, and you can never really pin it on just one thing. You can never pin it on this um, neurologic reaction that happened one second before, or or this. Um, Gene uh, changes in genes that happened over evolutionary time that uh, you know that go back millions of years, and you can't quite paint it on this environmental stuff that the way your parents raised you, or your peer group, or whatever, or or your hormones at the time you're going through puberty and that yeah. affects things or you're single now and that changes how your body's biology makes you behave and and so there's just so a million different variables and so it's been interesting having a bunch of different scientists um, in different fields kind of commenting on the same sort of stuff but having whole different takes on it yeah so so yeah I mean I, I guess that's and just I, I've learned um, uh, the biggest thing is one more, I've became more and more mindful and two um, it's some, sometimes it goes back and forth between like, hey, I'm, we're actually figuring some stuff out here, and we're really like learning some stuff and gaining some insights. Yeah. And at the same time, every time you learn one thing, you have ten more questions. So <laughs> it just seems like uh, a, a little bit um, like, oh, why even bother? There's just too much to know. Um, What's really cool about it is like you, you get people who are listening to it because it's a comedian, yeah, uh, and a comedian they're a fan of, and it might be information or people on there that they would never take the time to discover and read about and and whatever, yeah. Uh, so you get these people who are suddenly um, like you're facilitating knowledge or you're facilitating people gaining knowledge, which is really cool. Like that's that's yeah. a really cool thing to be able to do. Yeah, I'm hoping to. I mean, I've I've through my own just passion and hobby of trying to learn about this stuff and you know ultimately trying to work some of it into my stand up and do uh, put together other projects through through that i mean i've just had my whole worldview influenced by a lot of the by learning some of the stuff and having i mean when i when i started it was just going to be like uh, a bunch of fodder for my stand-up act or or possibly like pitch a tv show or something like that and then as i got going on it i was like oh no this is very important this yeah. is stuff that people need to know about it's changed the way that i look at everything hmm. and so i it's exciting that the idea that other people might have that experience too of hearing some idea and then having a shift in in their whole worldview i mean that's just happened to me more times than I can count, and it's a very special feeling, and so that's what I'm trying to bring to other people. Very cool. Uh, so we got about 20 minutes left that we can record. Um, our next storytelling event, Story yeah. Slam, is uh, it's April 18th. It's a Saturday. He won't be here, unfortunately. Uh, but our theme is it was not my fault, or it wasn't my fault. And I always like to ask the guests if if they have any short stories that they they might uh, conjure up based on our theme. Yeah, I mean, I um, 
I, I, again, like the web of causation thing is like a lot of times, um, and, and speaking of egocentrism, a lot of times we like to go, oh, well, that was all exterior, this and that. Like when something goes wrong, it's all a bunch of other people's faults. And then when something goes your way, it's like, yeah, I did that. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely have a story that was like, Parts of it uh, weren't my fault, but um, in in my opinion. But then lots of aspects of it were, um, and then like the people around, some had little bits of blame, and some uh, um, had less. And so that might be an interesting story to tell. It's uh, I I started um, telling this on stage a little bit recently because it will probably be in I'm eventually going to I think I'm eventually going to do a special about um, hallucinogens which is another passion of I mean I just heard you on uh, Pete Holmes you um, made it weird talking about DMT yeah this doesn't have to do with DMT but um, <laughs> this is the last time that I did acid um, and uh, I yeah, so I'm think I, I don't know if it will be my next album after this one. It's certainly I have the material yeah. kind of for it. I have endless amounts of material on hallucinogens, but it's just a matter of when I want to kind of put myself out <laughs> when, there. When you want to be the, the hallucinogen guy, yeah, yeah, which I, I kind of want to hold off until I'm already like you know because maybe NBC wants to do a pilot, you know? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so I, I, I need to, there's, there's just such a stigma attached to psychedelics that, um, uh, you have to be careful in the way in which you present them. Yeah. And, and it's and, interesting. I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up and my dad's a pastor. My grandpa's a pastor. I was raised very strictly religious, not very strictly religious. This is my point. Uh, my whole life, my dad, my pastor dad has told me that I should try acid. And if I ever wanted to try it, he would buy it for me. Really? Yeah. Have you tried acid? I have not. And you haven't tried acid? Have. That's the best way to, for, for a parent to get you to not he goes. Do. He goes, I'll buy it for you. I will be your sitter for your first time. And he just said everybody, but especially religious people, should try acid at least one time. I mean, that's not bad advice. If you have someone that knows what they're doing, yeah. and you have someone that's getting it from a reliable source, and you have someone that like cares about you and is like going to look out for you and everything. Yeah, that's uh, I, I mean, I would feel weird doing acid with my sober dad just looking at me. Yeah, but uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there there are because the problem with hallucinogens is that um, because of the stigma. Uh, oftentimes it's like something that um, like young people think is like a party drug or something like yeah. that if they've never done it like uh, well I drank and I smoked weed and that was crazy we had this wild fun time and so now maybe I'll do a bunch of acid and it's the next step and, 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 and that'll yeah. be a fun like party thing and it's not really like I find hallucinogens to be more of uh a better drug for adults once you um, like kind of have a little bit of a grip on things or, or at least not taken as like a party drug taken to understand yourself yeah. more well 
Um, well, this story is um, a story of exactly um, like the after-school special version of why you shouldn't <laughs> do acid, and especially not do it as um, as like a recreational fun party thing. Sure, um, but I I did um, so. What happened? Oh, shit. Um, oh, no. Can we... Do you have to be there at 4 or 4.30? I'm supposed to be there at 4. Oh, shit. Fuck. Okay. Um, it's okay. We, we, can, we can end. Okay. Yeah, can we... Uh, do you want to just cut out that last yeah, yeah. stuff? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's rather than teasing uh, it. And then re- next time I'll do another one. Absolutely. But real quick, I always ask... Uh, my guest, the last thing I ask is who is okay. the most interesting person in your phone? And I, I always say, if I'm walking down the street and I find your phone and I'm scrolling through it, who am I going to go? I got to call that person. Um, I am. Uh, wait, so I've, I've say, heard say the, say the thing one more time. I'm walking the most down the street person and I phone. see Shane Moss's phone on the ground. I don't know it's Shane yeah, Moss's yeah. phone, but I go into the contacts and start scrolling. What name am I going to find uh, that I should call? Uh, but here's well, the thing. I've had guests say mom, dad, brother. I've also had guests say Quincy Jones and David Spade. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I just got a text from my friend Marty Hazelton, who is... Um, She's a researcher at UCLA. She did my very first Here We Are um, podcast, and she's a professor as well. And she she does, like, really great, interesting, mind-blowing work. She's an evolutionary psychologist who um, is uh, in, in any evolutionary psychology or biology book written in the last 10 years she's cited in it and um she does research based on the um uh a lot of her work is based on hormonal um changes yeah and and the social effects of hormonal changes. So like a notorious study, it wasn't done by her, but uh, this is like the kind of stuff that she studies. But the one that people are sometimes familiar with was that um, strippers make twice as much money when they're ovulating and fertile, uh, which is like a four or five day window. Yeah. um, Then they do all of the rest of the month. And, um, and which, from an evolutionary point of view, um, it makes sense that most species have a mating season. The females become fertile. The guys go crazy and fight over them and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, and then they mate. And then everything kind of goes back to normal, just living and eating. And that's mm. what life's about. And you don't really <laughs> mess around with this the, the, the girls and the boys stuff too much. Yeah. And, and, um, but then, you know, like there's monkeys that get this big swollen rump and whatnot. Well, this in humans, it's much more what's called cryptic ovulation. We don't really seem to be able to tell very much on, on much of a conscious level, but on, on a non-conscious level, it seems that people, both men and women are picking up on when they're um, 
infertile and ovulating and that's changing behaviors that is based in um, kind of an evolutionary um, uh, objective or not um, um, optimized uh, in, in an optimized way which is guys are putting more effort into sleeping with a woman when she's fertile yeah um, they're spending a lot more time and resources at that time um, women are becoming a lot pickier or sometimes if they're in a relationship with someone who's more of like a provider but not quote unquote like sexy on a genetic level maybe feeling themselves more drawn to having an affair or a wandering eye or whatever a little more when during those few days that they're fertile the idea is you get those genes quick and come back and have which is something that birds do a lot of called cuck holding which is they have this pair bonded there in the same nest with a with a, uh, another fella but if they're both so like the tens pair off with the tens and nines pair off with the nines all the way down you know and so some ladies with the four the two fours are together but the lady can sneak off and go and bang a ten quick it's no skin off this yeah. guy's back <laughs> he just blows a quick load so he doesn't care his genes move on and then uh, and then she goes back and makes that poor sucker raise raise uh, the kids, raise the kids. And um, and there seems to be a bit of that, and, and so there's. But anyhow, um, she just texted me, so her uh, so that was just on my mind. So I I think I have some I have some like famous people I guess in my phone, but um, but definitely I I think. Um, scientists and stuff are are more fascinating and interesting Absolutely. to me yeah totally well i don't want to keep you from uh from doing your sound check tonight so we yeah can, i gotta wrap it up um and a quick outro of the show the podcast is here, here we, we are. are here we are podcast.com and go to my website shane moss m-a-u-s-s and you can um find my netflix special mating season on there um or on netflix of course and yeah and i'll have this album i'm recording should be out in like june or something perhaps. yeah let us know when it's out we'll, we'll plug it yeah uh, you can find them on twitter at, at shane comedy uh hey just so you know people listeners our next story slam is again that's april 18th that's a saturday our theme is uh it wasn't my fault and uh, we will be at the Wilmar Center at 953 Jennifer Street. It will be a good time. Um, there may be a brewery sponsoring it. We're not quite positive on that yet. But when we are, we will let you know. Pay attention on Facebook and Twitter. And always uh, go to the website, www.madisonstoryslam.com, and learn how you can support the podcast. Thanks for listening.